So this morning uh, we're going to start our, our our first of three parts. I guess this afternoon, um, part two and part three, of looking at uh, at health. And uh, this morning I've called it the right arm, Adventist doctrine, and the mark of the beast. What's really bottom line is I'm going to be talking about how the health message is the foundation, or is 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 a good way to introduce uh, many of our doctrines. Now. Um, uh, before we begin, let's just have an added word of prayer and uh, ask the Lord to bless us again. Father in heaven, we're thankful. We ask that your spirit would be with us this morning. We're thankful for life and the ability to study. And uh, we ask that your spirit would be with us. And we come in Christ's name. Amen. The right arm, uh, Adventist doctrine of the mark of the beast. Now, why do you suppose I call it the right arm, this talk today? Anyone have any ideas? What are Seventh-day Adventists known for? What's that? Uh, yeah, they are, actually, even though some are not living up to it. But because uh, in terms of the health methods, many people think of Adventists as being known as people of, uh, that have the health methods. Case in point, a couple of years ago, the National Geographic, the Secrets of Living Longer, and one of the groups that was profiled were Seventh-day Adventists. How many of you saw that? The National Geographic. And uh, there's this all kinds of uh, uh, focus on it. Seventh-day Adventist longevity. Uh, the women of the church live two to five years longer. The men four to ten years longer in uh, many different studies. And so um, why did that happen? Well, one reason is because of the, um, uh, the pioneers of the church, one of which was Ellen White. She said things like the medical missionary work is to be the work of the church as the right arm is to the body. Medical missionary work is the right hand of the gospel. Uh, The right hand is used to open doors through which the body may find entrance. This is part of the the, the part medical missionary work is to act. So this whole idea of the right arm or the health message um, is something that comes, you know, out of those writings. But if you were to ask Ellen White if she was alive today, uh, whether or not we should just go that far, she would probably say something like this. Don't repeat what I said, saying Sister White said this and Sister White said that. Find out what the Lord God of Israel says and do what he commands. So <laughs> what I want to do today is look at, at, uh, at what the Bible says, a little bit about the right arm, and then uh, we will also look at how each of the Adventist doctrines are kind of related to the health message, okay? That's what we're going to try and do. Um, now, if you come by the Amazing Facts booth this afternoon, I'll give you a, a copy of a little Bible study. It's actually on our flyer that we give to everyone that comes by the booth. That uh, What that flyer has on it is a study from Revelation chapter 1. And if I was to ask you what chapter in the Bible summarizes all the Adventist doctrines, you know what chapter it would be? Revelation chapter 1. So, why don't you open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to go through that, Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to look at each of the Adventist doctrines, because the the core doctrines are all mentioned there. Uh, The first doctrine that's mentioned in Revelation 1 is the Scriptures, the second one is salvation, the third one is the second coming, the fourth one is the Sabbath, the fifth one is the sanctuary, the sixth one is the state of the dead, the next one is the spirit of prophecy, and the last one is the saints. So, all the S's. 
They're all mentioned right there in Revelation chapter 1. So if someone asks you what the Seventh-day Adventists believe, you don't say, oh, let me go get my 20, uh, uh, 28 or 7 or whatever it is, fundamentally. Just say, no, I want to look with you at Revelation chapter 1. I mean, I think that sounds a lot easier. And then once you get through with this morning, you'll at least know uh, where to go to show people what you believe, which is Revelation chapter 1. So... Um, a little bit before I get into Revelation chapter 1, just a little, little bit of a testimony. You know, uh, I'm a registered nurse. And uh, how many of you are, are either studying or, or in a health area? Okay, good. And it was while working as a registered nurse that I actually was converted. I, I had become, a, I think I mentioned last night, I had become disillusioned and uh, became an atheist agnostic while attending an Adventist university. <laughs> Which... Uh, I'd like to say probably is not typical, but, uh, you know, actually, uh, it was the most honest thing for me to do at that particular time. And I think that honesty is probably better than, um, than being dishonest about uh, what you believe. And so I had become an atheist agnostic. I was in a, uh, in a four-year nursing program. I finished that and started to work in a hospital, and I was taking care of this lady. She was very sick. She had a triple A and that wasn't insurance, that was a aortic abdominal aneurysm. And she was about ready to die. You know, this big, huge uh, vein called, or, or artery called the aorta was, was just kind of a, a... Basically, she's ready to pop, because that's what an aneurysm is. Aneurysm is. So all they could do was to give her some uh, medication to lower her, her blood pressure and to just get her ready to die. So I was there working with her, and I went into her room, and she began to talk to me, and she said, uh, what do you think happens to people when they die? Well, I was a self-proclaimed atheist, and I said, I don't know. I've never died. And that didn't seem to satisfy her too much. And she, go, she kept asking me, well, uh, um, uh, why don't you know? Have you ever thought about that? And I said, well, uh, I really don't talk about that. I don't bring these kind of things into my work experience. I really appreciate it. I know that you're facing some traumatic times, but uh, please... Uh, uh, you know, uh, why don't we just stick to what we're here for, which for her was to die, you know, which is exactly what she didn't want to stick to doing. But I was kind of callous and whatnot. To make a long story longer, she was not satisfied with my, uh, my answers to anything. So I told her, I said, look, let me be honest with you, I'm an atheist. And she said, oh, really? I'm an atheist too. I've been one all my life, and now that I'm about to die, it's not working for me. <laughs> and I was like, ooh. That's not good. So I, the next day, you know, she goes, she comes in and she, she kept asking me questions. And then finally she said to me, she goes, uh, why are you an atheist? Is your dad, uh, is your dad a minister or something? That's what she said. And my dad was a minister. In fact, he's, I'm a fourth generation Adventist pastor. He was a minister. And I said, yeah, he's a minister. And she goes, really? Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. You know, Nietzsche's father was a minister. Karl's Marx, uh, Karl Marx was from a long line of rabbis. And she went through all of these very famous atheists that I thought were great and, and showed me how all their par- parents, uh, their fathers had been, you know, men of the cloth. And uh, that really got me. And she said, and then the way I look, she goes, your dad is a minister, isn't he? And I said, yes, he, he is. And then she says, well, tell me what he would say in answer to my questions. 
So I said, well, if you're about to die, my dad would say that you need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ and then everything's going to be all right. But that's crazy. She goes, that doesn't sound... I said, how would you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, he asked me. You know, and I said, well, uh, I, I don't know. Well, what would your dad say? Well, you would pray. Well, how do you pray? I don't pray. Well, what would your dad say? And this is how it went on. I got so traumatized, I tried to get away from the lady. I said, I don't want to take care of that lady. But they put me back with the lady, back with the lady, back with the lady every single day because her two sons were very prominent physicians in the hospital. In fact, one was a cardiothoracic surgeon and the other was a cardiologist. And she had raised them. They were all atheists too. I remember the last day she was alive. I went into work and she was fine when I went the first time. But uh, around 6 or 7 in the evening, her light went on and she said she had all kinds of pain. And I went into her room and as she was there, she was uh, breathing very with great difficulty. She was uh, diaphoretic. She was sweating. And uh, I knew that her aneurysm was probably dissecting. She was going to die. So we called the, all the family. They all came. And uh, in her last moments of life, they were all there. And they ordered some morphine for her. And uh, when they ordered that morphine, I was supposed to give the morphine. Um, go in and, you know, give it to her by IV. I went in to give it to her. And she could hardly talk. She was, you know, in the last moments of life. And I said, I want to here to give you the morphine. And she says, I don't want the morphine. You know, she gasped that out. I said, what do you want? And she says, I would like you to pray for me. That's her last words. And I told her that I didn't pray. I said, I don't pray. And there was a nurse with me. Her name was Dottie. And she jumped across the bed, literally jumped across the bed and grabbed me by the neck. She said, you pray for that lady. I mean, and I prayed for her then because that lady would have killed me. And as I prayed for that lady, um, as I prayed for that lady, she died. She died while I was praying for her, and I didn't even believe. And uh, that so traumatized me that I, I left. I left the hospital, and I went to South America. <laughs> and to make a long story lo- short, um, uh, that lady's asking me to pray, and then the prayers of others brought me back to the Lord. So those of you that are going into health and whatnot... Um, Many times the patients minister to you. I wouldn't be here today without that patient's testimony. An atheist who became a Christian in the last moments of her life and asked me to pray for her. So, when I came back and I was converted, I had a great interest in health. And uh, now being a nurse was a joy. Whereas before, I, I, it was very hard because you know I was only a nurse because uh, I, I like to hang out with all the nurses which is probably not the best motivation to be a nurse. But then I was converted. You understand what I'm saying? So, with that little background, I'll kind of give you a sense of where I'm coming from. Now, let's go back to our study. Are you ready to go back to our study? Revelation chapter 1. Let's look at it. Revelation chapter 1. It has all the doctrines of the Adventist Church in one chapter. Let's look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place, he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the... What does it say next? Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and the things which he saw. So the very first doctrine in Revelation chapter 1 is the doctrine concerning the Scriptures. Now, let me just say something to you. I, um, 
I'm talking here about how health is related to Adventist doctrine. Did you realize that without the scriptures, we would not have the science that gives credibility to our health message? Did you realize that? Without the scriptures, I would suggest we wouldn't even have science. I would suggest that the scriptures are the foundation of science, not the other way around. And why do I say that? Well, uh, notice what uh, Professor Jakey from Seton Hall University says. Hindu, Chinese, Mayan, Egyptian, Babylonian, and Greek cultures all had in varying degrees starts in science that ended in stillbirths. So uh, they all started out... They all started out um, trying to do scientific things in these particular nations. But notice, none of them are, are Christian, are they? They're all your Eastern religions. And they, they didn't get anywhere. Belief in God's omnipotence changed the view of nature from imprecision to the realm of precision, says uh, Professor Collingwood of Oxford University. In other words, uh, when you believe that God is omnipotent, uh, he's a precise God. This lays the foundation to, to, to reason from cause to effect. How many does that make sense to you? So in other words, he's not some capricious deity that just does this one day and this the next day, but he's testable. You can, okay, he said he's going to do it, and he does it. Sort of like the prophecy of Daniel 9. He said he's going to be baptized on time. He's going to die on time. All these things are going to happen on time. And he said it's going to happen like Daniel 2, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. He said it's going to happen, and then it happens. Can you see how that's the foundation? You see, the, the Bible is the foundation of science. Not the other way around. We don't take science and test the Bible by it. Uh, we take the Bible and then springing out of it was the scientific method. How many of you are with me on this? Um, it, so the Bible lays the foundation for science, but more specifically, prophecy in the Bible lays the foundation for science. How many of you are thankful to be a Seventh-day Adventist? How many of you are thankful because the Seventh-day Adventism is a Bible religion? But more specifically, the Bible is different than any other book because it has prophecy. Uh, the Vedic scriptures, the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the Quran, they don't have any prophecy. But the Bible is made up of 27% prophecy. How many think that's amazing? 27% prophecy. In other words, you know, uh, 30%, one out of three. And one out of three things you read is something you can test. It's falsifiable. That's the foundation of science. I'm thankful for that, Right? How many can see how the first doctrine of the Adventist church, which is belief in the scriptures as the authoritative word of God, is really the foundation for the health message? How many can see that? So that's number one. I'm excited about it. Now notice how Ariel Roth said it in his book. The concept of an orderly world as deduced from the rational and consistent God of the Bible provided a basis for belief in the cause and effect concept of science. The pagan gods of other cultures were capricious, and this does not fit with the consistency of science. So the number one doctrine, Revelation chapter 1, was uh, the scriptures, and that's directly related to science. Now, you know the oldest scientific study known to mankind, according to the journal, uh, the New England Journal of Medicine? The New England Journal of Medicine, January 2, 2003. You know what it says the oldest scientific study is? It says Daniel chapter 1. That's what, the, even scientists today, they say the oldest scientific study is Daniel chapter 1. Isn't that fascinating? Wow. All right. You guys, uh, how many of you are awake this morning? It looks kind of like the frozen chosen this morning a little bit, but 
That's okay. Let's look at the next doctrine. Revelation chapter 1. I'll put it up on the screen to save time. Let's read it together. John to the seven churches which are in, what's it say? Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him who was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So what is this? This, after the, after we look at the Bible, the Bible is the foundation of the scientific method, but after we look at the Bible, what is the most important doctrine in the Bible? It is the doctrine of what? Salvation. And uh, salvation is really part and parcel of uh, really the health message as well. You know the word for salvation in Greek is sozo. It's the same word for healing. They're the same word. Um, when people were healed, like for instance, let's say Luke chapter 17. Write it down in your notes. There were... Ten lepers that came to be healed by Jesus, and they were, uh, they came to him, and as they came to Jesus, uh, he said, why don't you go show yourself to the priest? How many remember the story? So, as they were going to show themselves to the priest, it says that they were cleansed. The word in Greek is catharsio, which is where we get the word cathartic, which those of you who are in the medical uh, field know what that is. You give someone the cathartic, and it cleans them from the inside out. So they were cleansed on the way there. But then there was only one that came back. And the one that came back and gave glory to God, that was the one who was, it says, healed. And the word there is sozo, salvation. How many of you can see how the doctrine of salvation is directly related to the health message? How many can see that? So number one, scriptures, they laid the foundation for science. 27% of the Bible is prophecy. It's testifiable. It's falsifiable. That was number one. Then number two, salvation. It is the, it, it, it is basically tied together with the whole idea of the health message. I love these texts. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 935. This is what it says there. Uh, maybe you can look those up while I'm talking about them if you want to. And Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And Jesus went through all Judea and Samaria, teaching um, in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people. This was really uh, the message of salvation demonstrated first. And when they saw, if you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, you see this, this foundational statement. And then you see Matthew chapter 8 and onward, all kinds of miracles, 8 through 9, 35. There's all kinds of wonders. So what Jesus did was he started to heal, he did these wonders, and then they would listen to his word. Because right in the middle of those two passages between those bookends is the most famous uh, message that Jesus ever preached, which is what? The Sermon on the Mount. So they saw his wonders, and then they would listen to his word. If you're involved in helping someone get better... Um, and bringing health back to them, preventing disease, stopping disease, or reversing disease, you know what they're going to do? They're going to listen to what you have to say about Jesus. So, number one, scriptures. Number two, salvation. Number three, what do you think we're going to talk about next? The sanctuary. Look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In Revelation chapter 1, every major doctrine of the Adventist church is covered. And this is the third one I want to bring out in Revelation chapter 1. It is the doctrine of the sanctuary. Do Adventists, are they known for the doctrine of the sanctuary? Yes or no? 
This is, uh, some, some have said this is the only real contribution that Adventists make, this, the, the, the doctrine of the sanctuary. And uh, this is one of their, specifically the investigative judgment. But uh, the doctrine of the sanctuary. Now, I want to show you something. Look here uh, in Exodus chapter 15. This doctrine of the sanctuary, it's a very fascinating thing. And remember we said that this message is the right arm, Adventist doctrine, and uh, the mark of the beast. <laughs> we'll get to that a little bit later. Well, what about the right arm? When you study uh, the, the, the message of the sanctuary, you know, when they left Egypt, it says, I will lead you out with my powerful uh, arm. And which arm was it? Look at Exodus fifteen six. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. So when they said, look, you, you're bringing us out, it was by the right hand. You know, uh, we call the health work the right hand of uh, the gospel. And the right hand was this hand that brought them out and brought them towards the sanctuary. Notice what it says, Exodus fifteen sixteen. Read it with me. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. So uh, this whole idea of deliverance came from the sanctuary. Then notice, how, uh, deliverance of God's people came from leading them out of Egypt towards the sanctuary. Now notice what happens when they get to the sanctuary. They're at that sanctuary, and what else is introduced right there on that journey? Same chapter, Exodus 15. If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God... And will do what is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put, what does it say next? None of these diseases upon thee, which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now this afternoon I'm going to look at those diseases. The Egyptians uh, were on the Egyptians, okay? We'll look at that. But right now I'm just making the point that as they left and they went towards the sanctuary... He brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand had purchased. As the right hand brought them, the right hand message of health was introduced. Tell me if you can see that connection. Can you see that? So this whole idea of the right hand, you know, Ellen White says that the medical missionary work is the right hand of the gospel. Where does he get that? He gets it directly from scripture and it's directly tied to the sanctuary doctrine. Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of god the sanctuary of god this whole idea comes right out of scripture well it's not an ellen white thing it's a scripture thing can you see that so the sanctuary is the picture now let me talk a little bit about the sanctuary (laughs) you see the sanctuary doctrine it really clears up a lot of confusion how many of you have ever been confused if you're not raising your hand, you're confused right now. How many of you, how many of you know some, someone else that's confused, even though maybe you're not? All right, yes. And, and, and we're a church that's supposed to call people out of confusion, yes or no? And you all say you're confused. This is this is bad news. No, but anyway. So this confusion. Um, well, here's the confusion. You see, sometimes people will say the Bible gives mixed messages when it comes to health. How long do I have, by the way? When, when am I supposed to be done here? Okay, 940. Oh, well, I might as well just slow down and just relax you a little bit. Um, the Bible gives mixed messages when it comes to health. How many of you have ever heard that? Like, here's, here's like one of the questions you always hear. Well, didn't Jesus eat fish? How many of you have ever heard that? Ever thought that? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you're going, well, uh, what do I say now? You know, uh, 
is God a schizophrenic? Did he reveal something in one place, the other, you know? How many do not believe God is a schizophrenic? Okay, well, you just get that out of the way. But these questions come up. Now, let me just give you an idea here, because the sanctuary brings people from uh, confusion to clarity, from the cacophony of confusion to clarity. Let me show you what I mean. When the Egyptians and when uh, others uh, that were not godly uh, were outside God's sanctuary system, uh, many of them would eat unclean meats. Mr. and Mrs. Piggy are pictured up here. So, unclean meats, that was uh, animals, anything kind of went. But God's people said no. And when they came to the sanctuary, what kind of animals could they bring into the courtyard? Only clean animals. Goats and lambs and rams, but no pigs, no snakes, no rats. You know, you didn't say, oh, I've sinned, I'm bringing a rat to the Lord. No, that did not happen. Now I'm going to bring frogs. No. No frogs. Right? Yes or no? It was only clean animals because why? Yeah, because they represented Jesus. He's not represented by a snake. Well, except for when he became sin for us, but that's another point. Okay, you understand what I mean? So it was represented by clean animals. So when they came into that courtyard experience, only clean animals. But then notice something. When you get to the holy place, what was in the holy place? There was the table of, and then across was the candlesticks, and then the altar of incense. What was on the table of showbread? Grains and grapes. There were the bread. There was bread on the top, so a complex carbohydrate, you know what I mean? <laughs> bread. And then on the bottom, what they had? A flagon of grape juice. You know, we kind of memorialize that in the communion service, right? And then you had olive oil, nice omega-3. <laughs> so you have this kind of this move back towards, towards uh, grains. Can you see that? You're, you're moving back to grains and grapes. How many think that's just fascinating? That's a kind of a transitional time because sometimes meat could be brought in there. They would eat some of the sacrifices and then the, or the priests would eat meat and bear the sins into the holy place. But then notice what happens. Then you move from the holy place to the most holy place and what do you have there? You have manna in the ark, and what else do you have? Aaron's rod that budded, which of course is greens. <laughs> well, anyway, so that's stretching it, but you have Aaron's rod that budded, and you and and what kind of uh, what kind of things came out of Aaron's rod? Almonds, and almonds is the perfect nut. And maybe some of you thought that you were the perfect nut, but almonds, almonds are the perfect nut. They they are known for satiety and, and, and blood sugar control and all kinds of things. I, will, I, I don't want to get started on almonds because I'll get too excited. So these, these almonds were, were there and then the manna. And manna is, you know, what is it? That's what it means. You know? It's a complex uh, carbohydrate. In Psalm 78 it says, it's the corn of heaven. Uh I don't know about you, but this is fascinating. So, is there any meat product at all in the most holy place? No, none whatsoever. Can you see the movement that's happened in the sanctuary? How many can see that? So, when you look at the sanctuary, outside on the earth, when Jesus was on earth representing, or in the outer court, you had unclean animals moving to what? Clean animals. And then in heaven, as you made this transition to the holy and the most holy, when you get to the book of Revelation, you know, in Revelation 11 it says, leave out the courtyard. And then it focuses on the heavenly sanctuary. Where is Jesus now? 
Oh, hello? Okay. Yeah, he's in heaven is the, is, is the main point. I mean, he can be wherever he wants to be. How many, how many think he's here too? All right, you just told me he was up there. But you don't know what I'm saying. It's, it's, typologically, he's up there, yes or no? And so he's up there, and he's, but, but the first place he was was in the holy place. Remember, he was among the lampstands. And then he moved into the most holy place. How many of you get the point? So the sanctuary, how many can see how it clears up this confusion? Um, it, it, it really does. I mean, ultimately, what does it say? Among those, Ellen White says, who are waiting for the coming of the Lord, meat eating will eventually be done away with. Flesh will cease to be a part of their diet. Well, why in the world could she say that? Because you see, what you have is you have these people that are moving from an outer court experience or from outside the sanctuary they, where they had unclean things. And then once they get baptized, you don't eat any unclean meats anymore, right? That's what you say. You can eat, you can, you can eat, you know, uh, you know, where's the beef? It's okay, Stair, but, but no more Miss Piggy. And then you move in, and then they move more and more forward, and they learn more and more, and ultimately they go to a most holy place experience. Now, what's going to happen in heaven? When you get to heaven, are you going to go out with the Lord and be hunting caribou? Do you think Jesus is, is fishing in the, in the river of life? How many think he's out there probably fishing today? Cast your net on the other side, he's saying to the angels. How many think this is happening? No, he's not doing that. So why was it that he ate fish? He was on earth at that time, but in heaven he's not doing it. How many get the point? Now, does God love people who are outside the sanctuary eating unclean meat? Does he love people that come into the courtyard and are eating clean meat? Does he love people that are moving to a transitional diet of some meats and some veggies right there in the holy place? (laughs) Not veggies, but you know what I'm saying. And does he love people that are in the most holy? Yeah. So there's this continuum. Now, if I looked at scientific studies and I was out here and you eat anything that moves or used to move uh, versus those that eat a most holy place diet, which one lives longer? You see? So it's not an issue of whether or not God loves you, but he wants the best. He wants you to be around a long time. Look at the person next to you. Do you want her to be around a long time? I kind of thought so. So, yeah, th- this, is the whole, this is the whole idea. How many, get, how many can see how powerful the doctrine of the sanctuary is when it comes to health? So we've looked at scriptures. They lay the foundation for what? Science. Science. We looked at salvation. That key word for salvation is what? Sozo, which means healing, foundation. There's a, it's connection. And now we've looked at the sanctuary has cleared up a little confusion for us, but it's on this continuum of how God is dealing and what he's doing. How many can see this? All right. By the way, the last sanctuary scene <laughs> that's pictured. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. And in the midst of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits each year, yielding its fruit every month, the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. How many can see that last picture? Wonderful. You know, the problem is today that we want to try and take the things of the world to heaven. Right? You know, NASA, I was interviewing a lady called Susan. Her name was Susanna Havala. She used to be the, uh, she wrote the position paper for the uh, American Diabetic Society. She's a, she's a um, you know, was before Congress and before the Senate. And she told me about how it was interesting. She went to the Senate, and the Senate was spending the taxpayer money. Guess what they were studying? They were studying how to take live livestock to the moon. How can you get a cow to the moon? So 
they're spending millions of dollars on how to make spacesuits for cows. How many are just thankful for the government? And uh, the, the, the problem was that when, what would they do when the cow uh, grew horns? You know, like a steer. How could they make a helmet for that? Uh, this was like 10 pages of the report, and it was going to cost a lot of money, you know. And, and, and granted, I mean, you know, how do you do that? But the thing that was really interesting to me was that people would be studying that. You see, they like to eat meat so much that they're going to transport spending millions of dollars to take Miss Piggy or Mr. Cow up to the moon so they can kill him and have fresh meat. How sick is that? You understand what I mean? So when we get to heaven, you know, the angels are going to come pick us up. But Miss Piggy and Miss Cow, you know, no. How many of you get the point? That's the point. All right. Now, the next thing, let's look at the Sabbath. All right, the Sabbath. We've looked at every doctrine we've seen so far in, in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, there's the scriptures. Then we looked at salvation. Then we looked at the second coming. And uh, then we looked at the sanctuary. I skipped a little ahead. That was verse 12. But now let's go back to verse 9 and 10 of Revelation chapter 1. And what does it say? 8, 9, and 10. I am the, read it with me, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that's called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the what? Now, what's the Lord's Day? Right. So, I mean, we could go through a little Bible study. Some people are a little confused on what the Lord's Day is, but the Bible is not confused. It's Every day is the Lord. Someone says, yes, that's true. But specifically, the Lord's Day is the Sabbath, right? So, in Revelation chapter 1, again, we have another doctrine mentioned of the Adventist church that's, that's significant in the Sabbath. Now, how is the Sabbath related to the right arm or to the health message? This is fascinating. This is where I'm going to get this Mark of the Beast thing, you know, kind of going on. Well, first of all, let's look here. Creation. What arm do you suppose it was that God created the world with? Huh? Right arm. You, you would suggest, you'd probably think that because of the way I set it up, right? I, you know, th- there are texts that say uh, he created with his fingers and with his hands. So I'm sure he used both hands, but notice these texts. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There's nothing too hard for thee. So when he made the heavens and the earth, it was by stretching out his arm. Well, which arm? Isaiah 48, 13. My hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my, what's it say? Right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. So creation was an act of God's creative power, but in the, in the scriptures, it's linked to his right hand. Isn't that fascinating? How many think that's fascinating? You don't think that's fascinating? Well, there's other seminars this morning. You know, you can always go visit them. But you're going to see that this is more fascinating than you think. All right? Now, now let's look at the second one. Notice this. Redemption. Psalm 78, verse 54. How many of you remember that when Jesus led... How many of you were just listening to me a couple minutes ago? Jesus led the children of Israel out of Egypt. What arm did he lead them out with? Remember that? The right arm. And, and then it says, then it was linked with the sanctuary and with the health ministry. How many remember that? Okay, that wasn't too long ago. It was like six minutes ago. And now notice something. Read this with me. Psalm seventy-eight, fifty-four. He brought them to the, are you reading with me? The border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, mountain, which, what does it say? His right hand had purchased. 
So look, the idea of redemption, like when he brought them out of Egypt, he brought them out with his right hand. The right hand that created them was also the right hand that redeemed them. How many of you get the point? So, let me just summarize it. Creation and redemption were all both functions of the right hand. How many of you are with me on this? So when Ellen White uses this metaphor, metaphor that the right, uh, that the, the, the medical missionary work or the medical work is the right hand of the gospel, whoa, that's pretty powerful because the right hand was also key in creation and was also key in what? Redemption. Ooh. How many of you can see why Ellen White says that this is the right hand? It's directly tied to the Sabbath. Now, (laughs) I almost am so happy to go forward, I want to just wait, just to linger a little bit. But we must press forward. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy 33.2. Read this with me. From From his right hand went what? A fiery law for them. What did God write the law with? How many of you are, are, are your minds kind of percolating here? But now look specifically. Remember the first thing that his right hand was known for was for what? Creation. The second thing was what? Redemption. Which set of the Ten Commandments are connected to the right hand of creation? The fourth, yeah, the fourth. The Exodus version. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. That's the Exodus version. And it's directly related to his creative act of right-hand creation. How many can see that? Now, what do you suppose the redemption section of God comes from? Which, which, which list of the commandments? Deuteronomy. Did you know there's another list of commandments, right? It's Deuteronomy. You know what Deuteronomy means? The second giving of the law. Because if you missed it the first time, God's so helpful that he gives it the second time. And in that second giving of the law, notice what he says. Notice what it says. Remember the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty... What hand, what hand was it that brought him out? We already looked at those texts. What hand? Yeah, so we could say that. Brought you there from a mighty right hand and outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord commanded you to do what? Keep the Sabbath. How many of you can see the connection here? Can you see the connection? The God of creation, Exodus 20. The God of redemption, Deuteronomy 5. How many can see that? Now, which one of those uh, is linked to uh, the passage there in Revelation chapter 13 that says that you, if you don't worship the beast in his image, you'll receive the mark in his right hand, it says. Which one of these passages is linked to that? Deuteronomy. There is a direct, explicit link between the commandment given by God in Deuteronomy and the mark of the beast. Okay, how many of you can see that? So in other words, the right hand that God stretched out, the devil tries to adulterate. He says, instead of worshiping the creator and redeemer, worship me on my day that I created. How many of you can see that? So the act of worship of God on the Sabbath is the ultimate expression of thankfulness for God being our creator, amen, and God being our redeemer, amen. How many of you can now begin to see why Ellen White used this metaphor of the right hand? How many can see that? I don't want to have the mark of the beast. How many of you don't want to have the mark of the beast? I want to have the mark of the lamb, amen. 
Wow. All right. Next thing we're going to talk about is the state of the dead. <laughs> kind of reminds me, you know, with tombstones there. What next do we have in Revelation chapter 1? Revelation chapter 1. What text in Revelation chapter 1 deals with the state of the dead? Remember, Revelation chapter 1. Let's see. What are, what are the things that we've, we've studied so far by way of review? Number one, scriptures. They lay the foundation for science because 27% of them are right. Number two, salvation. Lay the foundation for the health message because every time someone was healed, that was an act of healing. Sozo, the same thing. Number three, um, I forgot to put this one in. But what we studied next was the sanctuary. There's also the second coming. You know, every eye will see him. They also the I'll come to that next, or at the end. Number four, we studied the Sabbath, right? And now we're looking at the state of the dead. Now let's see what, what text. Revelation 1, 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his, what's it say next? What hand? Right hands upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Look, John is laying down as though dead. And he reaches his right hand down and says, I will resurrect you. How many think this is a powerful metaphor of the right hand? Ultimately, the right hand not only can heal you from various diseases, but can resurrect you from the dead. How many think this is pretty good news? Man, you guys are not that excited about it. I think this is great news. How many think this is good news? I mean, the most depressing places uh, you know, on the planet are usually uh, uh, graveyards. But when he comes with his right hand power, everyone's going to pop out. And they'll be most exciting places. This is the right-hand ministry at its, uh, at its conclusion. How many think that's powerful? So, all right. That's just one thing about the state of the dead. But let's think about this doctrine of the state of the dead. The state of the dead. Um, i got to show you a picture, all right? Let me just show you a picture. This is last week. I'm teaching at AFCO to go. It's fast food AFCO, you know, AFCO to go. It's a short four-day version, but not really trite. AFCO to go to the whole world. This guy, these are, these are my these students from this last week. Not this guy. That's Doug Batchelor. He, he wasn't my student, but he's one of the fellow teachers. And one of the students that came is this guy right here. Do you see him? This guy was watching 3ABN in Palestine. He didn't know any Adventist. All he had was a little dish. How many of you like dishes? All right. So he had a little dish too. And this little dish, he starts watching 3ABN. He gets convicted that he should be a vegetarian because he had a heart attack anyway. So he becomes a vegetarian. He stops smoking. He decides he should go to church on the Sabbath. He can't find any churches in Palestine that go to church on the Sabbath. Um, So anyway, he finally finds a Seventh-day Baptist church. He starts to go there a little bit. He's Greek Orthodox. He was coming to America. He was watching 3ABN. He says, well, look, i got to still watch it because it's got my health programs. He bought a computer so he could still be watching it when he came over here to visit his son in San Francisco. He's watching, and he sees me talk about AFCO to go. So he says, man, I want to go to that. So he comes over. He's from Palestine. He's from Bethlehem in Palestine. He is Greek Orthodox. His wife is Roman Catholic, and he comes to AFCO to go. So I'm sitting, to him at, sitting with him at lunch last week, and I said... You know, when he came, I said, well, what would stand in the way of you becoming the Seventh-day Adventist, you know? And uh, he said, well, I don't know. I'm here to check you out and see what you really believe and how you act. 
So, you know, he was a little troubled with me. But anyway, so uh, we were sitting there at lunch, and I said, well, what about the doctrines of the Adventist church you like? He says, I like the state of the dead. I said, well, why is that? And he tells me, I think, it's true. Yeah, you won't be deceived. And then I, I started to sophisticate his understanding a little bit, because you know the state of the dead doctrine is the foundational doctrine of the health message. How many of you know that? Why, why is that? Why is that? Why would I say that? The opposite of health is death. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's even better than what I'm going to say. Any, any other ideas? Because the state of the dead, when you teach it wrong, like there are some churches out there that says that when you die, your soul never dies. It goes immediately to heaven. And it's always alive. How many of you have ever heard this? But the body dies, and the body's not that important because the body's evil anyway. How many of you have ever heard this? So there was this teaching, this Greek dualism, I guess you would call it, where uh, they would say the body is evil, but the soul is holy. And so they would, all these religions, what would they do? They would diminish the role of the body, and they wouldn't take care of it. Like, for instance, in the Old Testament, they have all of these rules about washing. How many of you have ever read the Old Testament, and you see all these things about washing, and by the time you get through, you just feel like you've got to jump in the shower? I mean, the word washing is just there, 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 all the time. But they just said, we don't need to listen to that. And so what happened? They began to die of the plague. They began to die of all kinds of things. And the church lost sight of the fact that the God of the soul is also the God of the body. I would that you prosper and be in health even also as your soul prospers. Those go together in the Bible. How many can see that? So the state of the dead, the doctrine of the state of the dead, is really something that lays the foundation for what? The health message. How many of you are thankful for the doctrine of the state of the dead? How many of you can see how it's connected directly with the health message now that I've said this? Now let me take you to Purdue University. Well... <laughs> Sort of, you know, metaphorically speaking. And let me, oh, wait, i got to get out of this picture. Let me show you something here. Um, all right. Let me take you to the uh, Purdue University. Interesting study in 2006, Journal of Scientific Study of Religion. It studied obesity, which is, of course, a big problem, so to speak. And obesity... Obesity is just totally uh, causing diabetes, hypertension, all kinds of problems. But notice, they study the different denominations and these denominations and how, how they struggle with obesity. Baptists, 30% of them, Southern Baptists, are obese. Why is that? Church of Christ, Pentecostal, 22%. Methodist Christian Church, 19%. Catholic, 17%. Uh, Reformation era Protestants, 9%. Seventh Adventists, 3%. Well, as they asked Ferraro, why is that? This is what he said in his research, just recently published. We usually think of religion as contrasting negative behaviors, Ferraro said, but some denominations place great emphasis on what does it say next? Separating the mind or soul from the body, which may lead to, what does he say? Overeating. In other words, he's saying that doctrine of dualism, of separating soul from body, is probably linked. And there's a number of other people that are looking at the same data, and they say the same thing explicitly. How many of you think that's pretty fascinating? Yeah. 
So you look at you look throughout the world and you can begin to look at how doctrines play out in terms of health outcomes. Powerful, isn't it? How many of you are thankful for the doctrine of the state of the dead? How many of you are thankful that you can see the link between that and the health message? And ultimately the right arm of God resurrects people from the dead. Good news, just like my brother was saying. Say the dead is opposite of life. <laughs> Okay, let's go to the next one here, because we only have five minutes, right? We, we end at 9.40, isn't that right? Okay, look at this one. Revelation chapter, um, ooh, ooh. Yeah, it's not supposed to say saints yet, it's supposed to say spirit of prophecy. Revelation 1.19. Right, the things which you have seen, the things which are, the things which will take place after this. You see, in Revelation chapter 1, that's called the testimony of Jesus in verse 4. The word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is, is that word that can see things that have happened, the things that are happening, and the things that will happen. How many can see that? That is basically what the spirit of prophecy does at any time in earth's history. How many think that's true? How many of you are thankful that this church has a specific person they point to that had the spirit of prophecy? How many think that's probably pretty good? And did you realize that that spirit of prophecy is now known in the world? And I'm going to share some fascinating quotes from uh, scientists this afternoon on this as I look uh, a little bit further with you, but I'm just introducing it here now. Uh, More and more scientists are becoming impressed with what the spirit of prophecy has given this church. What Adventists received more than 140 years ago was indeed a remarkable gift that is increasingly being validated by science. What is that remarkable gift? It's the spirit of what? Prophecy. There are more than 300 peer-reviewed scientific pages in the medical literature on Adventist health. And they're all saying that what Ellen White said about health, what she said is now true. I'm going to show you some of those things this afternoon. They're simply fascinating. So, how many of you can see the connection between the spirit of prophecy and health in our doctrines? I'm going to tell you something. Whenever I do health seminars or health programs now, it is very simple for those that attend those seminars to accept the ministry and message of Ellen White. Because you know why? They've already seen it work in their lives. They don't have a problem with that whatsoever. Powerful. So, you know, in Dr. Nedley's book, Proof Positive, the last chapter in the appendix, it has an appendix that goes through all what Ellen White says and then what science is saying. I recommend that to you. Now, the last one I want to deal with is the doctor of the church. This was my church in Wichita, Kansas, before I moved to Amazing Facts. But what is the last thing that we see in Revelation chapter 1? The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand. Which hand? God's right hand, he has something in his right hand. His right hand is related, number one, to the scriptures, right? I've shown how that's related to each one. But now, finally, one thing he really likes in his right hand is what? The seven stars. What are those seven stars and the seven golden candlesticks? These seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which they saw are the seven churches. Let me point out something. God loves his church, and he says he holds it in his right hand. How many think that's powerful? The right arm. Adventist doctrine. The Adventist church. I believe he even holds the Adventist church in his right hand. Do you believe that? And so the doctrine of the church is directly tied also to this right hand message. 
Let's summarize before we look at the last S. In the book of Revelation, every single doctrine of the Adventist church, major doctrine is touched on. Revelation chapter uh, 1, verse 1 to, 1 to 4 is the Bible. Uh, the next few verses up to verse 6 is the uh, salvation. The next one is the second coming. The next one is the Sabbath. The next one is the sanctuary. The next one is the state of the dead. The next one is the spirit of prophecy. And the last one are the saints or the church. How many think that's just beautiful? And now, have I shown you, have I made the case that they're all related to the health message? Have you seen that? But I saved one of the best ones for last. Our last one. You see, the problem is that even though you do health programs, everybody still dies. But, because of the right-hand power of God, He can resurrect them again. And ultimately, he's coming again. That's the S I left out. The second coming is verse, every eye will see him. They also which pierced him, right? And the second coming is a powerful, powerful motivator of urgency. And also of, uh, what would you say, ultimate fulfillment. How many think that this world has some good things? How many think the world to come has even better things? I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, heaven, don't miss it for the world. Heaven, don't miss it for the world. Notice what happens when you get to heaven. Psalm 1611. Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy, what does it say? Right hand, or what does it say? Pleasures for everyone. The ultimate right hand experience, the ultimate right arm experience is going to be where? In heaven. How many can see that? The second coming. Let me read this quote to you. It's very powerful as we close. We all entered the cloud together and were seven days ascending to the sea of glass when Jesus brought the crowns and with his own right hand placed them on our heads. Angels were all about us as we marched over the sea of glass at the gate of the city. Jesus raised his mighty, glorious arm, laid hold of the pearly gate and swung it open. How many of you are thankful for that right arm that's going to put the crowns on your heads and swing open the gates? swung open the gates on its glittering hinges and said to us, you have washed your robes in my blood, stood stiffly for my truth, enter in. And we all marched in and felt that we had perfect right to the city. That's the ultimate right arm experience. Those who have had victory over the beast and over his image and over the mark of the beast and have the doctrines that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 1. What's the first one? Scriptures. What's the second one? Salvation. What's the third one? Second coming. What's the fourth one? Sabbath. What's the fifth one? Sanctuary. What's the sixth one? Say of the dead. What's the seventh one? Spirit of prophecy. What's the last one? The doctrine of the church. They enter in, and the gates of the city are open with his right hand. Can you say hallelujah? If you want to recommit your life to Jesus, why not raise your right hand with me right now, and let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful today that uh, we can come to you, we can just recommit our lives to you because you are the God, not only of health, but also the hereafter. We thank you, and we come in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope you come back this afternoon because we're, we just got started. I mean, this is just like nicking the surface of the surface. We're not even on the edge of the edge yet. So have a good morning, and we'll see you this afternoon. <laughs>